I am the vine, you are the branches. John's theological affirmations of the risen Christ are read in Eastertide, expressing beautifully the convictions and reflections of a third-generation Christian. Found only in John's gospel, those I am statements are used seven times, linking Jesus to the magic numbers in Hebrew tradition. And most important, the I am statements identify Jesus with God. In Hebrew, I am is the primary name for God, Yahweh. In the Exodus story, Moses asked God, what do I tell the Hebrew slaves when I return to Egypt? You are to say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. More than God's existence, the sacred name expressed the unsearchable nature of God, our images of God so feeble that we're reminded we are, to some degree, always praying to idols, incomplete images of God who is beyond our imagination. Now, ancient Israel understood itself to be the vine of God, involving both God's care and judgment on them. But John depicts Jesus as the true vine, God depicted as the vine dresser who cuts off non-bearing branches, pruning the good ones to bear even more. Abide in me as I abide in you, Jesus said. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So how do we abide? One of John's favorite words. How do we stay connected? If God is love, then it is love, agape, charity, that gives life to the vine. In modern terms, love is like electricity running through the wires, giving energy to our lights, sound system, and computers used for our Saturday and Sunday worship, and providing energy for our daily lives. Imagine life without electricity. Likewise, imagine life without loving care, the hesed of God, shared with each other. One thing John forgets, which is rather crucial, to live, much less produce fruit, a vine has to be watered. In that sense, I see our worship as a crucial watering the vine, more than just a one-time watering at baptism. Sadly, the church in general seems to be in the midst of a drought, more from apathy than COVID. John's allegory doesn't reveal much knowledge about running a vineyard. Whenever I think of vineyards, my mind wanders to Napa Valley, almost as bucolic as Father Ricardo's humorous dealing with last Sunday's sweet shepherd imagery. But the base of the vine, its roots grow out of a man crucified. Many years ago, I saw a medieval painting depicting a grapevine growing out of the cross. Poignant, because it transforms the vineyard imagery from bucolic to brutal. The fruit of the vine 
being justice over against the George Floyd incidents, which keep happening over and over and over as black and Hispanic men are beaten and killed by people sworn to protect and defend. Asians of all ages, women and men, attacked from sheer meanness and bigotry. Members of the LGBTQ community harassed and killed, often in the name of the very God whose will and name is supposedly love. Changes the dynamics, doesn't it? Bearing fruit is not sweetness and light, or even increasing church membership. The fruit of Jesus' vine is justice and truth, too often lacking in churches timid in the face of life and death issues. But that's precisely where I believe Jesus would focus. Jesus' attitude was not as much about religion as some might think more about right acting than right believing. Imagine the transformation, the way the church is viewed by outsiders, if being a branch of the true vine meant, as John Lewis would say, to make good trouble. Imagine caring for each other inside, responsive to injustice and oppression on the outside. Such a posture could restore the integrity and relevance of the church worldwide to act as we claim to believe. The book of Acts tells a story of how one follower did that. Philip, one of the first deacons, was a Hellenist. He believed that the essence of Christianity went beyond the shadows of the temple a Jewish precursor of Paul's mission to the Gentiles. Philip's primary mission was to proclaim Jesus as the triumphant Messiah through whom God had acted to offer people salvation, defined as healing and wholeness, not limited to life in the world to come. Eternal life right now. The kingdom is here among you, Jesus would say. Heaven was the focus of many gospel songs I grew up with in the South. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Understandable, because life on earth was really hard. But that afterlife focus allowed slavery, then segregation, to be socially, morally, acceptable to Christians during this life. Philip believed that with the life and death of Jesus, God's rule had broken into history and was now operating in the world in and through the church. Imagine such a concept. Mostly I hear onward Christian soldiers marching as to war against other Christians and religions against political and racial diversity, and too often bigoted beliefs in the guise of, quote, religious freedom, not used as a shield, but as a spear. Led by the Spirit, Philip encountered a Nubian from Ethiopia, 
an area that had been a vital part of Judaism and later Christianity too. Though he had attended services in the Jerusalem temple, the eunuch wasn't qualified for membership in a Jewish congregation because he was not a whole man. But he was a man of high rank, trusted, serving royalty. Interesting to consider that being a non-Jew, it's possible that this black man, not the white Roman Cornelius, was one of the first Christian converts. In a way, the eunuch represents all the people shut out of belonging on the basis of tradition or prejudice, even when they are eminently qualified. In the story, Philip ran after the eunuch's carriage, his chariot, and heard him reading aloud, which was the only way reading was done in those days. Evidently, he was reading from the poems of Second Isaiah, the very passages which early Christians thought described Jesus. This is the guy you're reading about, Philip told him. His talk about Jesus ended with an invitation to repent and be baptized, which he did the Ethiopian receiving the Holy Spirit at baptism. Imagine again, a black man being the first person to be confirmed. Again, changes the paradigm, doesn't it? The church continues to spend a lot of time deciding who is in, who is out, when Jesus' spirit was one of inclusiveness. I remember Martin Luther King Jr. saying a long time ago, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of Christian America. We still have a lot of work to do. Maybe it's time for us to stop neglecting, avoiding carriages, chariots out there along the way, daring to ask for their well-being, not our agenda. What are you reading? we may have some answers to what's going on that could help. The Reverend Deacon Kathy Crow is a local example of Philip's encounter. She describes the mission of the diaconate as a bridge between the church and the world, as well as to encourage the ministry of the laity. As our Episcopal chaplain at San Jose State, she is making a significant difference in the lives of students and faculty. Like Philip, Kathy doesn't sit around and wait for students to come to her. She's out there with them. We're here for you, she says. No strings attached. You are the focus. How can we help? When they finally realize she really means it, helping to house homeless students or with her sacred studs, Sacred Suds ministry at the laundry mat nearby, relationships change. Lives are transformed and valued. Just like Philip, the work of the spirit, fruit of the vine, freely given. The lively, caring energy of her presence and work is made possible by funding from us at St. Luke's, parishes around the diocese, individuals, organizations, and beyond. That's how it works. Like Philip and Kathy, you and I are called to go beyond the shadows of religion 
and proclaim Jesus as the Christ by our actions, even more than our beliefs. Working toward justice, acceptance, and reconciliation, and practical help. No strings attached. I challenge you to bear that real, life-giving fruit from the Jesus branch of the vine, wherever you are. And remember to water. <laughs>